clubhouse. Somebody else hit Eleanor Alves with that sculpting hammer. Eleven times, like the prosecutor said. It continued after she was dead. That's rage. That's hatred. <laughs> A lot of hatred. A crime of passion. This is Caroline. And this... <laughs> No, I didn't. It just caught me off guard, though. I thought you were going to say playing the hottest hits from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. (laughs) Fine. Do it again. Mm -hmm. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Do We Unnerve You? The Undoing Podcast. Tonight, we're talking about Episode 5, Trial by Fury. As with all of the Undoing episodes, it was written by David E. Kelly and directed by Suzanne Beer. Oh my goodness, Caroline. I don't (laughs) even know where to start. Well, I know where to start. You do? Yeah. This was my favorite episode of of the series so far. I mean, I fucking loved it. I was forward, edge of the seat the entire hour. How about you? Absolutely. I could not wait to find out what was going to happen next. Everybody came into play in this episode. Every one of our concerned parties were all having some screen time. Grace just is increasingly getting more complicated for me. Mm-hmm. There were some stunning cinematic shots that were really well done. Yeah, I'm ready to talk about it. Let's start with Haley because Haley really earned her fee in this episode. You see why she is expensive. You see in this episode why she says that she can, if not win a trial, at least cause enough muck to get someone off. 10,000 foot view. What did you think of Haley in this episode and her performance? I thought that her going line of actually, I'm not saying that, was a really good one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And something that I think I'm going to keep in my own back pocket for like when you are absolutely insinuating something and then the person gets upset and they're like, are you saying this? I'm like, actually, I didn't say that at all. Like, Excellent, Haley. Excellent. I also liked how she was continuously straightforward, including with Fernando. Like, she didn't let him off the hook any more than she let Jonathan off the hook. Loved the acting moment when she catches Jonathan checking out the uh, photo slides. Uh, That was so weird. Her, like, smiley face, like she came in, da, 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 da. I was like, oh, I love this. What do you think about Haley? Would you want to hire her? Oh, for sure. Uh, For sure. I mean, she's exactly who you want because... She's just there poking holes. She she doesn't get flustered. She makes you flustered. She doesn't raise her voice. She makes you raise her voice. You know, I, I mean, we got to see her kind of pick apart Mendoza and Fernando in this episode. And it was it was like watching like a grandmaster at chess. She she knew the board. She was 20 steps ahead. She knew if I go here, this will get that. If I do this, this will get that. And I'm never going to raise my voice. So as soon as you start to raise yours you're gonna look like you're hiding something you're gonna look like you're guilty of the thing that i am accusing you of without accusing you of it i mean when mendoza goes beyond the scope of her question and turns and says and i heard your opening and it was offensive and it was delicious to watch because that's exactly what she wants you put the people on defensive you rock them back on your heels man you're you're halfway there to your job of of casting doubt 
before we back up to earlier in the episode, I want to zero in on the Fernando conversation because she asked him some interesting questions that we never really get answers to. She asked him questions like, was Elena seeing a, a therapist? Are you seeing a therapist? But really, because you and I talked about this last week, is Elena seeing a therapist? Is it going to turn out to be Grace as her therapist? What did you pick up on that line of questioning that did not get answered? It seems to be leading us towards Grace. I mean, I don't know why we'd continuously be asking if she had psychiatric help. This is, I think, the third time. Mm -hmm. Jonathan asked, Grace has asked, now Haley's asked, how are we not supposed to think it's only going to lead back to one therapist? Except we got one more therapist in the lot here, don't we? Franklin. Franklin. That makes a lot of sense. And maybe explains why Franklin knows where he lives. Yes. So I am wondering if Franklin may not have been their marriage counselor. That's fantastic. And actually had not, my brain had just been so committed to Grace being the therapist that I didn't even entertain Franklin, but he makes so much sense, right? Because he, yes. he of course, would, would handle marriage counseling if that was what they were doing or, or being associated with Jonathan, you could see where Franklin would almost maybe seek them out uh, mm. as as clients with his money and his power and his reach. Well, and it might also explain why Elena starts crying even more when Grace offers the therapy, because it's like, I already see your dad, you freak, <laughs> you know, like, right. what if that's like an extra layer? I, I mean, that uh, that's true. And, and assuming you probably assume that Elena in that situation knows Grace knows that. So maybe it's almost like insulting or like doubly hurtful by saying, well, maybe you need even more therapy than you're already receiving from my father. <laughs> Just backing up to Haley and Fernando, I mean, he starts to get I can't believe the judge even let that go on where he's just kind of personally attacking Haley and her character. And she has this wonderful line. She says, I didn't mean to incite your rage. Uh huh. Ed Stamper, the DA, starts to get up and then sits. And she, she does the, she does the cost benefit of if the judge doesn't rule in my favor to overturn that, that and strike that from the record, that just hangs out there even more that this, the psycho on the stand maybe has really serious rage issues. I think that that was perfectly played by all these because you're right. Samper had to be like, if I say something right now, I'm putting a big fat spotlight on it. And so I, I need to decide if I'm going to say something. So well done on all the lawyer fronts. What did you think of Snapper's opening statement stuff with the pounding of the hammer? I thought it was very effective. It seemed, I, I know to a lot of people, it probably comes off as super dramatic, you know, maybe too much so. But you are the first word in this case. You are the first word in this case that has been covered extensively on the media. You know, a lot of the pundits, a lot of the talking hits we heard in this episode were talking about how it's not realistic that a jury doesn't already have some kind of idea in mind of their feelings on the case. Because that's just not realistic. They say that they don't because they have to, because they'll be excused. But inward, inside, you know that they have some kind of opinion. So she has to come out of the gate, no holds barred, gloves off. It's worse than you think. And that's like, yes. the, I yes. love that because that's exactly what she has to say. You've heard the news coverage. You've heard New York, New York One News. You've heard ABC News' coverage of this case. But it's worse than you think. And, and I feel like she's yeah. even looking at us. Like, I felt like she was looking at me saying, Caroline, this is worse than you think. And I want to be like, <gasps> but I'm thinking it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. I think it's Haley tells us that she was hit in the head 11 times and then and then Stamper shows that the the crime scene yeah. photos the first time we see the crime scene photos it was really mind-blowing to me because we had only really seen the crime scene 
through Grace's what now seems like an art house version of the crime scene, where Elena looked beautiful, even as the hammer blows landed on her temple, she still looked kind of beautiful. She didn't look like her face had been turned to pulp. Yeah. But now we realize that's Grace's version in her head of what it looked like. The crime scene photos dep depicted a very different, very gruesome scene. You're a scaredy cat a bit. <laughs> what happened to you watching this episode when you saw those crime scene photos pop on the screen? Well, here's the thing. I know you said that, you know, that that might have been a little dramatic with the pounding of the hammer. But to be honest with you, I thought she actually held back by just pounding it into her own palm. I think that there's plenty of prosecutors who would have had something there that made a squish sound and like hammered that 11 times in a row or hammered the hammered at least once on the desk pretty hard something that would like really get your attention and be like jarring I, whether or not you know they would tell him to quit doing it i don't know but i was actually expecting more drama at that level because it is a visceral response you want right and just hitting it into your palm like really Yes, it was not good, but it wasn't horrible. Showing the pictures and leaving it up on the screen, which Haley was quick to turn off. I love that, that Haley was, did that. I thought yeah, that was such a nice smart. detail. I thought it was such a nice detail that the show didn't even need to do. I don't know that I would have paid attention to it if it, if she hadn't. But the fact that she did, I did note. And I love that about her. I thought that was a great, uh, great little character trait that she's such a pro. She's so composed. She knows to turn off the, the pictures. I thought it was great from both sides. Like, great that Stamper left it up, too. Of course, because, you know, in opening statements, lawyers have a lot of leeway. Uh, they, there's a lot of leeway you're given to say what you want to say as you address the jury. But it's not limitless. And you have to be aware of the judge sanctioning you. You have to be aware of the other side raising a stink, which is not something that's normally done in opening statements. Uh, you really have to cross a line. And so there, there's theater there. I mean, so much of being a lawyer, especially being a prosecutor or a defense attorney, where you're up in front of a jury, you're up in front of a judge, so much of it is theater. And I thought Stamper, you see why she's the big gun in that office. I, I thought she was pitch perfect tone-wise for the case, for the seriousness, to, to express that it's worse than you think. And additionally, I think that she added that layer of probably being extremely aware that Haley's whole shtick is to figure out where they muck it up basically right mm -hmm. and so i feel like she's going to be so thoughtful about things like maybe not being too dramatic with the hammer or you know just just those little moments maybe not um, objecting to something because she's really looking to have no flaws because she knows Haley's on the lookout Let's turn to Mendoza for a second, because the entire time this series has been going on, we've been hearing that that Fernando had turned himself in, but they cut him loose really quickly because he had an alibi. He had an alibi. He had an alibi. Grace has asked what the alibi has been. We've heard the question asked a couple times. She went to she went to their office after Fernando stalked her. Uh, she went to the police precinct. They wouldn't tell her the alibi. It turns out his alibi is home <laughs> with a yeah. sleeping Miguel in the middle of the night. Yeah. Were you shocked by that, that that's what it was? I was, because it felt kind of anticlimactic, because they had made it seem like there was something. I mean, I think they even referred to it as like he had like a really strong alibi. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And it yeah. was like a 10-year-old that would easily sleep through you sneaking out or whatever. Like, And this was just like a block away. So it's not like he had to go travel across the city or something. Yeah, I, I don't know quite why they set it up that way for us, where we were thinking they just had this really fantastic alibi. Well, I think the reason is what Haley picks, up, picks apart. It's that Jonathan is just such 
such an attractive guilty party and they need a conviction, it's a high profile case. This isn't, there's some, there is some classism here, right? I mean, we hear the talking head say at the beginning of the episode that we always want to stick it to the rich, but we never do, which is kind of a true thing. I mean, I, I think that resonates with a lot of how a lot of people feel because it's the idea that one day we may be rich. We want to be afforded the same ability to skate and do whatever we want and act with impunity as current rich people do because we may be in their shoes one day. That's, I think, the psychology of it. But I think here, that's what Haley is picking apart with Mendoza, right? The idea that you made an exception for Fernando. This is a horrible alibi. The trap she weaves comparing Grace and the photo evidence and Fernando and his bad alibi, I thought was just such a masterful dance. I mean, Mendoza knew it and still had to walk into the trap. What did you think of the classism, the the whole idea that we want to stick it to the rich, and the idea that they went after Jonathan because he is a high-profile defendant, an easy slam-dunk case, to the extent of not investigating the case maybe further? I thought it was clever how they layered it in, because not only was it going on during the trial, but Franklin was watching that talking head on TV, and the information was a, was a bunch of different things, not just the rich, but also the fact that they were attractive. Mm-hmm. And there was like this whole other layer that really, to me, it a little bit doesn't come into play because Fernando and Elena are also attractive, so it's like everybody's attractive. I didn't even pick up on the attractive part. I was really focusing on the, on the stick it to the rich, but we never do. Yeah, but I think that it's true. I mean, I think that any time that you, that you have any type of... Of attractiveness in the defendant that that comes into play and like they said who wants to you know find a doctor guilty so that was also a, like a layer in there so i appreciated that they were kind of giving us every reason why a jury member might have cause for concern or, or something that would hold them back from saying this person was guilty and they introduced all that info really i thought very cleverly if you're in the jury right if you're in that courtroom it's not obvious where she's going but once she makes the full point she lays the trap about the the cameras and then he lies that there was no one else in the area i mean that's that's his fatal flaw right but he has to say why would he but but so i get it but i don't get it he knows grace knows they have that evidence are you just banking on the idea that grace wants to have not been there so badly that she's not going to let Haley mm-hmm. spill the beans on that. But yeah. does isn't that a huge risk? It's a huge risk because it's a huge problem with their case because why question Grace so hard but never call her a suspect but, but question her like she is when she's in the area but you don't question Fernando who has not a strong alibi as it turns out. Uh, and who has maybe the most motive here, maybe even more motive than Jonathan. I mean, if you look at Jonathan, he just says, like, I mean, I loved her. I I wasn't, I mean, yeah, we had some words, but, like, we weren't, like, actively, you know, feuding or some some sort of terrible fight we had, whereas Fernando's been betrayed, you know? This is is a much greater hurt. When Haley tells Fernando there have been other men, she doesn't say that like a question. She says it like a fact. Which is an interesting thing and maybe seems like a semantic, but it's not. So what do you make of that? I mean, just is that something that you think? I mean, Haley is well-researched. I was absolutely thrown by her jury research on Facebook. And the mm-hmm. fact that they use the Facebook algorithm to then plant pro-defense ads in the jurors' 
feed? Yeah. Holy shit. I mean, I, I, I wanted to get to that because I thought it was such a clever indictment of the world that we live in today. The, the idea of privacy is such a joke because, because we have to use technology. We have to use the internet to live our lives, or most of us do. Most of us are on Facebook to some extent. Most of us use Amazon to some extent. And the fact that they're piggybacking on the algorithms, she says, I know, like, I know all these people. Yeah, yeah, she fucking does because she's got the money to invest in that. And that's all it takes is a little bit of a little bit of know-how and a, and a little bit of funds to put it around. And you know every single thing about these jurors. I mean, IDing jurors and, and jury identification is not new. This is what the show Bull is about. Uh, you, you know, you hire people who are experts in reading jurors, in, in reading their brief biographies you're given. I had to do this in high school. In a criminal in a criminal defense class I took in high school when I was a senior, part of it was learning about the jury and figuring out are they going to be sympathetic to your case or not. Jury selection is all about that. Do you want this kind of person for your jury? This is such a next level. You can't even see the prior level. It's such a higher level <laughs> of jury selection and jury and ju and knowing the jury. Well, what made me so interested in the in that portion as well and in, in applying it to what you asked me about saying the additional men made me feel like Haley's got to know she can't possibly just be spitting that out there, you know, just hoping it sticks, hoping he gets mad, hoping he says, yeah, there was that one guy, Jerry or whatever, you know, like she's got to have dug something up on Elena. Is that is that a good conclusion or no? I think that's a fair take. I actually that's not my take. My take is that Haley put that out there like a fact one because it's in the record Two because the jury heard it as a fact, not as a question. And juries are human. You hear something, it's going to stick in your head that she said it like a statement. It doesn't need to be true. She said it. And three, I think through Grace and through her own research, she has a good enough idea of Fernando to know that Fernando doesn't actually know one way or another how many other men there may or may not have been. Because he didn't know about Jonathan, not right away. He eventually confesses. But he did know for some time. I mean, he got cucked for some time and was aware of it. For how much longer it went on after he knew, before she was dead, that we don't know. You could see on his face, he doesn't actually know the answer of, were there more men? And I think Haley was banking on that. I mean, the way that she laid it all out, that, that the art studio, studio was being used for these clandestine affairs... Yikes. I mean, how easy as a jury member to, to go with that? Of, of course. Uh, yeah. I, everything Haley did was for the jury's benefit. She just used Fernando and Mendoza as unwitting pawns in, in her plan, which I think she executed basically perfectly. Listen, she says at the top of the episode, and before we move on from Haley and, and the trial, I think we just need to address the top of the episode. She makes a very good point. The prosecution's case is strong, but it is all circumstantial. That's the window. That's the narrow gap that Haley gets to do her mucking about in, right? They've got all of this evidence, but none of it actually puts Jonathan there with the murder weapon doing the crime in a conclusive kind of way. And so because of that, there's there's like room to breathe. And I think Haley makes the most of it. And it also means that Stamper's case is hindered somewhat, right? She can put on Fernando. She can put on Mendoza, but she can only get so much information out of them without them outright lying on the stand. Right. But I wanted to ask you what you thought of Haley's job as marriage counselor in that opening scene. And then later on, after 
after it comes out that Henry saw Jonathan and Jonathan saw Henry with her and Elena. Haley's put in a position of having to be a marriage counselor with these two twice. What did you think of the job that she did with keeping them focused on the matter at hand? I think that she explained clearly to them how it would affect the case and that it can't just be something that is know superficial they had actually feel this doing that whole exercise with holding oh, hands so awkward and uh, but doing that i think like made them realize how awkward they are around each other and how palpable it is and that the jury is going to notice we've all been at a party when we realize a couple is fighting they don't have to be saying or actively fighting in front of us you just see the cold shoulder stuff and it is so incredibly awkward man when it ratchets up to the whole adding henry seeing them and Henry, like, crying about dad trusted me with this information, all that, mm-hmm. wrap that up into that second session? Mm. Well. I don't know that Haley could have said anything that was really going to make Grace feel like she could handle it. Don't you think that was even more heightened, though, because she had just crawled back into bed with Jonathan literally probably less than 12 hours before that? Oh, I, she just came from him. That made it even worse. The The idea that the specter of this dead woman that he's already said he loved came rushing back into their life with this revelation that our son was even not it. Franklin knew. Henry knew. You know, Grace is standing here. And I mean, we think Grace knew, but Grace doesn't think she knew. So Grace is now standing here as the only one in her family. Every other man in her family now was aware of of them being together. Uh, I want to go. Obviously, we need to get into the psychology of Henry. But let's say that for the end. He is a fantastic question mark as we head into the last episode. Let's get to the very top of the episode. What did you think of Jonathan calling out Grace about following? him okay so i have this theory kind of going on in my head right now that is kind of a strange like i can't exactly explain it but it feels like that they had some amount that they did this together maybe he's even taking the fall for her and some amount of this like pushing back on grace is like how far are you gonna let me fall before you step in with like the pre-established alibis slash, you know, like vouching for me slash whatever. Like you're supposed to play your part. That whole part about him being like, what the fuck was that part? Like, why were you following me and all that stuff? I don't even know why he feels like he has any grounds to ask that. Well, that's, it but that's Jonathan so though. Weird, right? The same guy that's going to wave to his son while he's with his mistress that's fucking sociopathic uh, behavior. I was so happy yeah. when Sylvia actually used that word finally because holy shit, it's on display in this episode. But that same behavior is the same guy who can actually get up on his high horse and accuse his wife of stalking in, in a how dare you kind of way when you're being accused of murder and you're definitely being accused of having gone and fucked her by your own admission. But that's what makes me wonder, Mike, how much did she know? Like, was this oh, yeah. his night with Elena right. versus her night with Elena? Mm-hmm. Like, it made me feel like there was some other, you know, arrangement between yeah. these three that was like, why were you showing up on the night that I'm supposed to be with her? It felt like that. I'm nodding my head enthusiastically because <laughs> I feel the same exact way. I think she went there either as part of our, an arrangement or to check on them because she knew they were together or something like that, like intruding on their time together. Something like something, some plan that this thruple has got 
cross-wired. But, you know, I was happy that he called her out on the quote-unquote coincidence of it all, because I don't think anyone's really held her feet to the fire about it. No one's really gotten a good explanation from Grace as to what she was doing there, because I'm with Jonathan on this point anyway. And Jonathan, I'll have you know, lost me a bit in this episode. Well, I should think he would. (laughs) I mean, God. Uh, But, I mean, I was with him on this point of being like, what the fuck? Like... Yeah, but... Coincidence? That coincidence is bullshit. Whatever your reason is, is a better explanation of than coincidence. Uh, so I'll go with you, but uh, but at the same time, I don't know. I think it's incredibly ballsy for him to be like, 100%. how dare you follow me? Unless, unless, the only way I wiggle out of that is to say, unless they had a pre-planned thing that you don't bother me on Tuesday nights and I don't bother you on Wednesday nights or whatever, whatever that deal is. Because otherwise, it actually seems like an absurd question. What were you doing following me what the fuck difference does it make what were you doing in harlem like i don't i wouldn't even answer that question you know i think you're right i think this is something that you and i have been dancing around i think a theory that you and i have been putting together for weeks now i think things like that conversation only help bolster that idea there are some other clues uh the photo that they put of elena the non-crime scene photo that they put up of elena the one that haley uses i don't know if you noticed but that's a stale photo of the oil painting memory that Grace had last week, where yes. she, where Elena is turned to her right. She's wearing the red checkered shirt with a brush in her hand. That photo they use is a still of that memory or imagining that Grace has. That can't be a coincidence. Agreed. The pictures too, like there was the one with the, where Jonathan's looking at it. And I don't know if he's looking at it quizzically, like he's never seen this photo before or like I'm in love with her. But when he's alone and he's like going through that, the little like slideshow basically on the TV and it's like the black and white one with ice cream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was taking it like ice cream date in my brain is what, is where I would think that type of picture would be taken it almost felt like taken on grace's date (laughs) and this is the first time he saw that photo but it could also be taken like oh my love i had that wonderful ice cream date with you but a third take on that is it's interchangeable that a grace ice cream date and a jonathan ice cream date could have just as easily been in all three of them together ice cream date because we also get a flash in this episode we we actually had uh when fernando was on the stand right after Haley says that there were other men and she says it as a fact and fernando doesn't answer right away and then eventually he comes around to like a weak denial grace begins having flashes while they're while fernando and Haley are having that interchange grace is having you know her imagining flashes where she sees elena and jonathan again which we've seen But we also, for the first time in a couple episodes, get another flash of Elena and the baby in the apartment where she's on the couch and she's laughing and smiling, which we've seen before, but we haven't seen in a while. Grace has all of these very detailed memories of Elena. And we talked about this last week, where if you can't fill in the details, you kind of use items from your own memory to fill in the blanks, right? But it seems like Grace is filling in the blanks with very specific information as one who has been there this time watching those flashes it had and seeing the still photo that they use as the uh, happy elena picture i think all of these things have a different meaning in this episode five than they may have had in episodes one two or three when we saw them if grace was a man right now i feel like everyone would be like it's obvious by her flashbacks that you know there was an affair happening here but because that's like oh my you know that would be really wild if it was grace and her but other i mean other than that mike like doesn't every 
piece of evidence say they were lovers? Well, you're assuming, though, that Grace is being a, nar- a reliable narrator here, which I don't think is 100% true. I, that's, that's, that's where I keep getting tripped up. I think we're still getting a mix of Grace using her strong mind to create things the way she thinks it would look in her head, but combined with a mix of memories that Grace actually has of her time with Elena. And that's the problem. It's not all one thing or another it's not all i wonder how that played out in my head bloop 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 and then she has like a, a, a like a whole vision of like what she thinks it might have looked like and i don't think it's all accurate memories of time with elena that she spent i think it's a mixed mash that's where it continues to be a struggle is what is real and what is not agreed let's continue talking about all the ways that jonathan is uber ballsy you nailed the first one the idea that he would accuse her of stalking and following him unless unless there was a good reason like you've stated but if it's just the high horse of it all really super ballsy but what about like booty calling her booty booty texting her in the middle of the night he has no boundaries either i mean i think franklin has none i think that jonathan has none i think that he just needs to have people love him and want him and all that kind of stuff and even when it's like ridiculous you've kind of seen men do this on like a way lower level where they consistently get rejected by a woman but they keep coming back and like trying like a different come online or something this is just at like a a higher level you know where he's like still just doing the same thing he's still just snapping her bra strap and she is still giggling at it yeah she's still turning around every time he does it yeah i have in my notes here jonathan booty call we saw this one coming, right? You and I talked oh, about it, right? Yeah. We, we you talked said about it this last week, real loud. <laughs> um, and then I have he charms her into submission because he has to work at it for a couple of minutes. Like she, she's not, she doesn't like fall into the schoolgirl giggle fit right away. He has to work for it a little bit, but he stays on it. He knows he's going to get her. He knows that she's right there on the edge, and he just has to play it right and uh, you know roll roll out the weaponized charm right, and he does. See, and I like how they layered that on with her uncomfortableness with Franklin continuously playing the piano. So fucking rude in the middle of the night. Holy shit, Franklin. Come on, man. And uncomfortable. Like she Mm. said to him, point blank, this kind of stuff reminds me of mom. You know, I'm not in a good place for this kind of thing, right? He's continuously down there playing the piano in a way that you can see is like eerie to her and really unsettling. And so it doesn't surprise me at all when you layer dad being like sort of like the opposite magnet you know um how do i say same magnet pushing her away right and then jonathan like you know beckoning to her put those two things together i'm like where would you want to sleep probably in your own fucking bed you know back at home under those cozy cozy sheets i think that's right i don't think that's her primary motivator for going over there though i think she when we talked about this last week though she wants to be with him she wants it to be like it was she wants the the bad boy like the 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 same way it worked on her x number of years ago when they got together the same way it was working on her Right up until, you know, Elena was murdered, you know, right? Think back to the shower scene with the, I'll put the rubber gloves on and scrub you down. Like, all of that, Grace wants that. She wants to live dangerously, to quote her patient. Um, And 
and she still does, right? Like she's she's got an itch and she wants it scratched and only Jonathan can scratch. I mean, Franklin might be able to scratch it, but that's fucking weird. But yes. John only Jonathan can scratch it. And you know, it it's almost like watching a car wreck that you know is going to happen but you have to watch it happen. That's what this whole scene with Grace is. You know she's going to wind up with him. It's just how long it's going to take her to give into it. Uh, that was my feeling. More surprising to me was not the walk of shame home, but it was that Henry is waiting for her on the couch, almost like like an aggrieved boyfriend or husband with that, where were you? He yeah, gives her. that was so sharp, the way that he delivers mm. that line. Like uh, like a third adult in their relationship. And it starts with this, where were you? And his eyes, he looked, he looked disheveled and upset, but he also looked kind of really angry too. Judgy as hell. Yeah, 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 for sure. So were you surprised at, at this confession that, that, Jonathan and Elena had such lack of discretion that Henry saw them from the steps at school. This kind of blew me away. This was a this was a big reveal for me that I didn't see coming at all. I did a little bit only because do you remember when we were talking about how he said another fine mess I've gotten you into? And I said, this makes me feel like there's been times when he's put him in bad positions, that there's been times when he's had to try to apologize or try to somehow he's the bad guy and he has done something that's fucked with Henry. And that feeling has stayed with me so when i saw this it's not like i foresaw exactly this scene but the idea that henry knew something or that henry was put in a bad position felt right on to all of the other dialogue i i I think i want to uh, qualify what i said it surprised me that this was the thing but it didn't surprise me that jonathan would behave this way and i and i guess maybe that's the important takeaway Jonathan is a sociopath. He is someone who acts without regard to the consequences or the feelings of others. He just does what he wants, and he thinks himself truly, truly untouchable. I really, I really fully believe that. And this is, for me, the worst thing he's done in the show. As a dad who takes my relationship with my son as the most important thing in my life and the respect that I want him to always have for me and the way I conduct myself is something I want him to look up to, this offended me and nauseated me on a very personal level. The the nodding and the winking, the flaunting of this woman with him and, and the lack of discretion it was disgusting to me. It really, really was Jonathan's worst villainy to me. And again, because of my own personal personal bias I bring to the to the table, really, really bothered me. And when Grace comes in and says he fucking worshipped you the next morning, I could not have said it better or with more emotion in my voice than she said it right there. It was startling how absolutely – I think untouchable is a great word, and that really plays into – how I had to think of it when we had the whole restaurant scene and the big like slap in the face of him turning around and confessing about this. It was not a dog that it was a younger sibling. It was a little girl. I'm wondering now, is that what we see in the opening credits? A four year old girl and then blood. It's Katie. The kitten could be, I think it might be Katie. The kitten. This is, I mean, and Hugh Grant fueling this, this is a very earnest, sincere sounding scene as he confesses this, this lifelong secret he has hid. I mean, when she asks him, how is it possible I've never heard this story before for however long these two have known each other uh, and he's never shared this story? I mean, you, you, your heart almost wants to open up to him, but 
some things temper that. One, he says, not the family dog, the family sister. Yeah, what? Not, not the right tone for the story you're about to tell, sir. Not the family dog, the family sister is what he says. Come on, dude. Come on. All that right. Weird, uh, all right. But that's at, that's at the start. So maybe you forget about that as the story goes on and he continues to break down more. I like the fact that Grace hesitates before she hugs him, but then she does hug him. And I was kind of bummed that she did because hugging him is just another way of saying, you've brought me closer. You've pulled me further into your web. Um, but listening to Mrs. Frazier's story, the, his mother's story later on, you you look back at that, and of course it's someone who would say, not the family dog, the family sister, uh, and, and the sociopathic tendencies that he clearly exhibits. What did you think of the sister story in light of hearing his mother's version of of how it shook out with the family? I feel like having the mom call back at 4 a.m. and act as if it was the right time to correct her grammar oh, during fuck. talking. That was the worst. Like when she continued to explain that, my heart was like, Ugh, I hate you. And also, oh my God, what a strict, horrible mom you must have been. If if you would act this way towards someone who's obviously coming to you like upset. Mm -hmm. Then the story, the way she told it, I, I am surprised too. Clearly she knew Jonathan's family. This was not a situation where she had never met them. The last time she had seen them was at their wedding, but that implied that there would have probably been a time when someone would have said like, you know, something wouldn't there have been a photograph in the family house or oftentimes at weddings you you might have like in memorial or something in the very back of people who did not attend who have passed away grandparents whatever you might have katie on that i don't know but there was just something about this that was like this mom is scary unto herself like she if she raised me i i feel like i would be a very scared person of her i'd want to run away how'd you feel about her that's that kind of my takeaway too this is why i love this show so much because it's not easy just to have a black and white feeling like jonathan sociopath right never talked about his remorse never talked about his grief the mother is calling him out the color says he is responsible for that okay hold up he was 14 you put a 14 year old in charge of a four-year-old and yeah okay a 14 year old should be responsible but he he wasn't smoking crack you know with his friends out back not paying attention to his sister he was making a cheese and tomato sandwich you know it doesn't sound like he was super negligent in his duties i think that's a lot of responsibility to put on a kid where they have clearly held him responsible when you hear jonathan say it you roll your eyes at that point because you're starting to lose faith in what jonathan says is true right if you haven't already lost faith so when you say that my family held me responsible for her death you kind of roll your eyes a little bit and be like, yeah, you're, I'm sure you're playing that up. Like how mm -hmm. much could they have held you responsible? You were a kid yourself. Oh no, no, no. Mrs. Frazier's like, yeah, he's fucking responsible. Like he deserves to feel like shit. He is exactly responsible. We all still blame him for it. But then in the same breath is like, he chose to leave the family. Well, it doesn't sound like you gave him a whole lot of opportunity or choices about the matter. And so they it's complicated to go to his wedding and they knew who Grace was and all these other things. Like, it's not like they, it's not like they didn't have, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like they didn't have a relationship past 14. 
2018. They continued to have some sort of relationship. I understand she said until he could leave. And I get that. I'm guessing that it's Grace's money that allowed him to leave. I don't know. Mm. But it just feels like, I'm sorry, lady. Like, didn't you guys continue to have some sort of back and forth for a while? I can't believe that Grace has her phone number. I can't believe that she called Grace back. Like, the whole thing is like, doesn't add up to this like completely estranged situation. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Well, as someone who is estranged from his family and haven't seen my parents, not since my wedding, but since my son's baptism, you know, 12 plus years ago, I kind of get it. There are some things, though, it is odd. But once you meet her, the mother, the, the idea that it hasn't come up, the idea that when he says to Grace in the restaurant, he says, we don't talk of it. I have in my notes here. Uh, ask Caroline, is we don't talk about it acceptable to the extent that you wouldn't have brought this up to your wife of however many years? Uh, is is that an acceptable excuse? Well, meeting his mother, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's such a part of who he is that they don't talk about it. Uh, we haven't seen Jonathan lose his cool. This is a man who is standing trial for first degree murder in a court, and we have not seen him break his cool until Henry brings up the quote-unquote dog story. It's the first time Jonathan has cracked in this entire series. So there is a lot here. There's a lot of emotion here, because this is the thing that finally makes Jonathan storm away from the table, show some kind of actual real anger, an emotion he has yet to show. He's been a cool cucumber until this point. So I don't know. There is something here. Do you believe that he hasn't felt remorse about it? Do you feel believe that he hasn't felt grief about it? Do you believe that he's unable to suffer? I really, I really don't because, I mean, he seemed legitimately upset mm-hmm. about the whole thing. He seemed legitimately upset that Grace told anything to Henry. And I feel like if you are somebody who it truly rolls off your back and you aren't affected by it, you're not, you don't, you don't jump up from the restaurant table. You're like that old thing. What are you going to do? If you really don't care. And you don't scold Grace in front of Henry or to Henry, which is something he has not done in the show. He has been playing the mea culpa husband while while decreeing his love for this other woman. He's also been playing like I he says it to Haley in this episode. He said it didn't diminish my love for my wife. It was different. Which is a whole conversation that we should have, <laughs> we whether should. or not whether or not that's actually possible. But in 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 Jonathan's mind, he his love for Grace was real and true, and and the entire series he hasn't criticized her, he hasn't put her down, he hasn't blamed her, but he does in front of Henry in this scene. That's what I'm saying. Like there is a lot of emotion here. He is feeling something. Um, the problem is how much do you believe him? Do you believe him when he says, maybe that's why I went into pediatric medicine is because he never, he never let go of Katie. He said, every patient I see is Katie. That's some fucking real deal shit. I want to believe him. I'm like Grace. I want to crawl in the bed with him. I want to believe him, but God, he makes it so fucking hard. (laughs) I definitely feel like it was a change when it came from Henry is my very best guess. So he could keep his cool and be a million things in front of the whole world. But Henry bringing up this whole thing with his sister, to me, felt like that's why this finally got under his skin. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right, because The Undoing is definitely Grace's story. But I think a close second theme of this show, and I mean, this is without having seen episode six yet, which we actually haven't seen. It's not just for the podcast show that we're saying we haven't seen episode six. We actually haven't at this point. Um, But at least through the first five episodes, one of the main themes of the show, not the main, but one of the main things is fathers and sons. And and specifically the relationship of Henry and Jonathan and Jonathan and Henry, what they need from the other and what they are willing to do for the other, what they feel their duty is to the other. When she comes in and says he fucking worshipped you after the revelation that uh, he caught, that Henry caught Jonathan and Elena together, like that goes towards one of the big offenses that for Jonathan can be made because – it does seem kind of all gloves off, right, against Grace. But he seems to kind of really walk the line when it comes to Henry. That's what makes me think that he might have had some sort of an arrangement with Grace, though. Like, it wasn't a full-out betrayal to Grace, but it was to Henry. And there's complicating reasons why. Well, let's talk about Henry in this restaurant scene, because we already talked about how Kurt, how how strong his words were, the where were you in the apartment. But he is... He is acting strange and peculiar peculiar in this restaurant scene. One, he's asking them he's demanding answers and questions from them. He's he's throwing all of his mother's marriage counseling advice that he's picked up from her over the years in her face in a in a uh, a way like a like a, a like a prosecutor would go after a witness on a stand. Um but then, then switches gears and says, "I think we're going to win." Like something, so he he contemplates something in his brain, and then says again, like a fact, says, "I think we're going to win." What is going on with Henry in this scene? What is he feeling? Do you think? I think the fact that he includes himself in the "we're going to win" part, mm. I think, is odd to begin with. Like, I think that most kids would sit there and be like, "What do you think is going to happen to Dad? What's going to happen to Dad? What's going to happen to us?" That kind of thing. Right. But I don't think that they lump themselves in and say right. we. So already that makes me feel like, what does he have to do with this? What has he been asked to do in the past? I don't know. And I, I had said last time when he spoke to Franklin, and he had that, you know, I heard you, you know, put your foot on the headmaster and all that kind of stuff. Like he's got Mm -hmm. a little streak in him. Mm -hmm. That's a little, it's grown, but it's also a little nasty. Oh yeah. A little little bit of the, the problem child in him for sure. A little bit, a little bad seed. (laughs) Yeah. A little bad seed. When he's, again, this episode, he's still watching the fucking trial through his phone, the entire episode. And we get another scene of him doing it at the dinner table again. And when did you catch that whole scene with Franklin where they're talking about how Mendoza came off like a squirmy worm and you wouldn't want your jury, your case, you know, for Stamper, you wouldn't want your case resting on the the jury believing a squirmy worm. And he's saying it to Franklin because he knows Franklin, you know, has kind of a streak also in him, even if Franklin is not a fan of Jonathan, is something about his grandfather, Henry, identifies as he'll appreciate this shade being thrown on the cop like that that's some weird like behavior for a kid to have i I can imagine myself as as a kid watching my father go through this trial and being terrified at every single thing whether it sounded good or bad for my dad i don't know that i would be gleeful at something like squirmy worm like i don't i don't know it 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 is very kind of bad so here's the thing i am 43 if my dad was on trial right now, I would not be so bold as to speak to him the way that Henry, a little mm. boy, 
speaks to him. Like, I would not be so bold as to assume I know the affairs of adults, <laughs> even if I'm an adult. Like, I, I just wouldn't. And so for me, I'm like, gosh, this kid just seems like he you, – you had explained it in the first episode that, you know, New York City kids, they grow up fast, all that kind of stuff. But, like, I'm just saying, like, I haven't even gotten there. And, and you know, <laughs> sure, I, I don't think I'd be comfortable having this layer of discussion. And I don't – do you think that Grace – again, Grace and, and Jonathan – should have said something else to him at that dinner table. Like, I, are you incapable of shutting your kid down? Because I'm not. Right. Here's the thing. So I, I was definitely reminded of this concept that I talked about early on about city kids grow up faster than kids elsewhere. And I think that's true. But look what we learned tonight. Just by Jonathan bringing Henry into his web of deception, they're not treating Henry like their son. They're not. They, right. they treat him like a third adult. They always treat him like a younger brother, but an adult and a peer, not a child, a peer. That's the only reason I could I could figure out in my head why he's allowed to speak the way he is to these adults, why he's allowed to watch the trial at the dinner table and speak on it, why he's allowed to act the way he is at the restaurant. Mike, I would have fucking shut my kid down for speaking to me or to his mother that way. No, 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 no. Or to his grandfather, for that matter. But you wouldn't necessarily do that to uh, like a your younger brother. You know, someone who was younger than you, but someone who was technically still appearing an adult, you would maybe indulge that behavior. And I think that's kind of how they're they're treating him They're They, they definitely don't seem to be treating him like a son. And that's a problem. And Franklin doesn't really seem to be treating him like a grandson either, though. It's telling. He says that whether Jonathan gets convicted of this murder or not, it is imperative and in like paramount that Jonathan and Henry be kept apart. Well, why is that? That was wild. And especially having Grace stand in the window the way she was, there were some really cinematic moments oh, in this yeah. one. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, and they held on it longer than they should have. And even the edit was a little interesting where it almost like, it's like they cut away and then they didn't. It's like, yeah. then it stayed. And it was like, what was that? It was almost like now? a quick time jump or something. Yeah. I noticed yes, the edit too. Yeah. It was wild. Something was odd. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I was paying attention a lot to that. I'm going to tell you this other cinematic moment real quick because we left the trial area. The, every time when someone went through the metal detector and then they would turn and look back at the person behind them because mm -hmm. they were getting like frisked basically. It was the most interesting uh, I've ever so... seen metal detectors fascinating i mean especially who they would have like you know grace go through and turn to look at jonathan and then in another one jonathan go through and turn to look at fernando like it there's just this like feeling of like it's like they're like judging one another mm -hmm. and like doing that whole like just like taking each other in for good and for bad in this like completely like how would this ever happen really trial moment right like they would never allow the husband of the murdered woman to come right behind <laughs> in the uh you know the metal detector line behind the accused murderer like i mean that's kind of silly but to have that moment of them staring at each other was like again were all four of them in on this i don't know watching his face fall jonathan is like kind of jonathan has this like cat ate the canary shit eating grin on so often especially in this episode and he is, he has that when he's coming through the metal detector but when he turns his face falls 
as if he had been shot when he sees Fernando. It was it was like a really nice piece of face acting on Hugh Grant's part. It's interesting because there's something very vulnerable about a metal detector. There's something very, you feel almost like accused of something going through a metal detector. Yeah, you could really see that with Franklin. Like, I felt like he was the one who felt most like they were like touching his body-ish, you know? But, but you feel like you're guilty of something, no matter how clear your conscience is. Going through a metal detector and being wanded down like that, which is exactly what happens at courthouses, you know, and your fucking belt, you know, always sets it off, the, the metal buckle. Like, it, you're always getting wanded down. And it's something with your hands up in the air, getting wanded, being told to turn around. It's something that already puts you at unease. And then you turn around and you're seeing all of these participants in very close quarters. And they're also, I mean, it's weird to think of in COVID times, but they're all so bunched in together. Yes. If Jonathan thought about it, he probably could have felt Fernando's breath on his neck and not realized it was him. So close were they together. Very uneasy. And I loved I, I loved the cinematic of it. It was it was like telling this whole story within the episode, the, the, the metal detector scenes. Great call on that. Very well done. I think we need to talk about Sylvia a little bit. Oh my goodness, Sylvia. We really ran wild in our last episode about who Sylvia is and what is her real relationship to this group, whether it's ex-lover or current lover to Jonathan. Is it possibly she was a threesome with them? Is she possibly the love daughter of Franklin? And that's why they have that little weird, oh my girl, kind of like back and forth, like, or Sylvia's daughter, the love child, uh, Jonathan. Sylvia and Jonathan, right. Mm-hmm. So, oh my God, so many parts to this. Where are we landing with her these days? Were you surprised that she was so blunt that that watching the trial so far, she's more convinced than ever that Jonathan did it? And she's blunt as fuck about it as she tells Grace on the phone that that surprise you won. I think at this stage of the game, it does because it seems out of place. Like, it seems like your friend has already chosen to get him the lawyer, has already chosen to stand by his side and sit in trial every day. Why are you going that direction with your commentary? Uh, I 100% agree. And if anything, if you're watching the trial, Haley's doing a fucking master job. I would be more concerned about Jonathan's guilt or at at least the status of the trial before it began versus what we saw. I mean, if I'm in the jury pool, I'm leaning towards enough doubt here than I would have been beforehand for sure. So yeah, I was surprised that she had that opinion too. And that she just chose to share it like that. Like what what are you doing? Like she could have told Franklin that and I wouldn't really bristle at it, but you know, your friends made her plan clear what she's doing here. So back off. Well, maybe she's that friend that, you know, just tells it like it is. Like she sees, she calls it like she sees it. You know, your feelings be damned. She's that, she's that (laughs) real top friend always. This is what really got me. This exchange. I probably don't want to ask this, but what are you actually thinking? And Grace stares at her phone like she's going to throw a fucking dagger through it and says, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't ask that. What does that mean? What are they talking about? I don't know. Does she suspect Sylvia of, of something now? Grace took in the information that Sylvia was hired by her philandering husband and just kind of tucked it away and never dealt with it. She filed it away in her Grace files of non-emotion and never processed it. But it's in there. Sylvia can't have the squeaky clean image with Grace right now as she did before this whole show started. What does that exchange mean? Because it seemed very pointed at, at Sylvia to me. Grace's response seemed very pointed at Sylvia, like you, Sylvia, shouldn't be, shouldn't ask that. 
but maybe not. Maybe that's just how I took it. I don't. What did What did you take of that exchange? What did it mean? Because I don't really fully know. Potentially, I think it could lean into a couple of our different areas. If they have some sort of sex agreement that they are with other people, and whether or not Sylvia came into play in that. You know, that could be like a we don't talk about that outside certain like fight club, you know. Um, so what am I thinking? I We're not going to talk about that. You shouldn't ask me that. And you know better to ask me that. It could be, you know, something at, like going back to the whole this never would have gotten here had Sylvia pulled her to the side and say, hey, do you realize he's getting these disciplinary things at work and blah, blah, blah. Like that would have ended this so much earlier in theory, all in theory. Um, because I don't know that it necessarily would have. I think that Sylvia played a role there in not creating the the like off ramp from this insanity that 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 the family's like going down. I like that. I like the idea that that Grace in processing all this is going to, if if not yet there, is getting there or or will get there. That Sylvia is somehow shares some burden of responsibility for this whole situation as a friend bear some responsibility for the situation. I could definitely see that being a take Grace has at some point. Well, let me point out that both Franklin and Henry have said it. Franklin said, if only I told you about the money, that poor girl would be still be alive. Henry said, if only I told you I had seen them, maybe none of this would have happened. So everyone else who even knew even one bit of information has come to Grace and said, I fucked up. I, I should have told you. Sylvia didn't. No, no. She was like, I thought you knew. <laughs> uh, well, I thought you knew and privilege, 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 privilege. I couldn't say anything, which is true, but it's the real shitty friend thing. I mean, that's a real shitty friend position to take that the ethics of my of my profession prevented me from telling you this horribly damaging thing to your relationship. That may have led to this woman's death. Yeah, but if she's the sad fruck from the past, which yeah. I feel more strongly about than ever, then you could see why she wouldn't want to bring it up. You don't want to open up that can of worms if you're one of the worms in the can. Agreed, agreed. Which, which, which coat pocket does Jonathan have that has a pair of Sylvia's panties in it? Ew. So th as we get to the last scene, which we have to talk about before we wrap up, there's three things I want to just hit on that we haven't mentioned. One Haley talking about how Elena was hit 11 times and then her statement that that's rage, that's hatred, that's a crime of passion. We talked about this early on when we saw first glimpses of the crime scene. We talked about how that's not that's not premeditated murder. It's really not. That's crime of passion murder. That's the anger comes upon me and I can't control myself once I've started. I can't stop myself once I've begun. And we hear that, right? I mean, she continued to be struck in the head, Elena, after she was already dead. That's a crime of passion. That is yeah. rage, which I was I was happy Haley said that because I think that's an important thing because that goes towards what your, what your state of mind is. The person that killed Elena that night, that crime scene doesn't make me feel like they intended to kill her uh, striking someone over and over and over and over again on the head up close that's a personal crime that's an intimate violent act if you premeditate it you're gonna go you're gonna shoot them from afar you're gonna stab them you're gonna do something much more efficient to murder someone you're not gonna get up in their face with one of their sculpting hammers and be within an arm's reach of them and continue to hit them over the head. I think that's important. I think that whoever eventually is found guilty, it's important to know that there was an intimate act of violence going on there. Two, the quote that Henry has is, he saw that I saw, he knew that I knew. 
really have to keep that in mind as we go into this final scene. This idea that Henry felt like he was now a part of his father's team, which is maybe in some ways what Henry has always wanted to be, someone for Jonathan to count on and, and to trust him with an assignment, but also the heartbreak of putting your 14-year-old son in that position that he feels like he has to feel that way. And then, so so we get to this final scene of the episode. Yes. Grace comes in. She has this very distressing conversation with Sylvia right after she has a conversation with Jonathan's mother. So this is where Sylvia, for the first time in this series, drops the line that Jonathan is a sociopath, which is the word that I had been thinking of. She's got all of this on her mind. She goes for a respite, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's something cathartic for a parent to go in and kiss your kid goodnight. Right after they're asleep, you're checking on them. You're making sure they're fine. I, for me, anyway, it's a peaceful thing. I don't know if you feel that way. Sure, there's like a there's a ritual to it of going in, making sure someone's okay, and then and like she did, start straightening up a little bit, making sure that you know they have their stuff for tomorrow for school, like that kind of stuff. That I felt like was very mom ritualistic. Yes, not the first time she's done it. A practice thing. Maybe she hasn't done it in a while. Maybe that's why she's doing it now. That the feeling of some normalcy, right, with the trial yes. and with everything that's going on. I'm going to straighten up Henry's room. I'm going to I'm going to check on him. I'm going to kiss him on the forehead. I'm going to tell him I love him. I'm going to straighten his room. This is what normal life is like. You, you find a pile of clothes, which God knows that's exactly what a boy's room looks like. The violin stuffed between a bunch of dirty clothes. I mean, my son plays bass and it's always over the, over the fucking house and the thing is giant and it's always in a way stuff always putting put on it like a table. Like, I totally get this. It all strikes me as real. Her pulling out the violin case and opening it and, ch and the camera is flashing between Sleeping Henry grace what grace is doing sleeping henry grace is getting the violin case sleeping henry grace is opening up the case sleeping henry grace looks down she sees the hammer her eyes go wide she flies her head up and fucking henry like like the exorcist child staring at her wide-eyed i just about pooped myself caroline <laughs> it was amazing so was your gut reaction henry did it the gut reaction the gut reaction is henry did it it's exactly like a kid to think ahead that I have to hide the murder weapon, but not hide it very well. Like, I'm going to stuff it in my uh, violin case and, and arrange it so so it closes, right? I mean, the, the hammer's laying in there in, like, the bed of the violin, it, which was really interesting to me. But the idea that a kid would hide the hammer in the violin case and then go so far as to hide it just in their closet. Like, that, like, that will put it away. It won't be found there. Seemed like something a kid would do. Okay, so did you go further than that, or is that where you landed? That is not where I landed. Okay, because I didn't land there either. <laughs> because that's the gut reaction, right? That's what the show right. wants you to do when you look at his right. eyes. But look at his eyes again. Those are not eyes necessarily of, oh, you've caught me. Now I have to fucking kill you too. Those were eyes of, holy shit, what is that thing that you're staring at? Because he could see down into the violin case the way it was open. The eyes of panic. The eyes of... Either I knew what was in there and I'm helping someone else, Grandpa, or I don't know what that thing is that you're staring at and now you're looking at me like I did something wrong and I'm freaking the fuck out. It's one of those two things. Henry is either helping someone here or is learning the same time that he has been made an accomplice to something that he didn't actually do. Here's when I think he became an accomplice. Do you remember that when 
They were reviewing the moves of Jonathan the night of the murder. He says, dad came in and kissed me goodnight and said goodbye. And she said, does he ever do that? And he's like, uh, like, no, not really. I think he planted it there at that point. Like he put it in the violin case and I don't know exactly, but the whole, he knows, I know. I think that line is like, I have the weapon. He would know that it's in his violin case. He would know. Well, yes. And and now that, yes, I like where you're going with this because I can help you add on to it also. Please go for it. The violin and violin classes and the violin lessons throughout the series has been, except for one conversation that Franklin came into Henry's room and had with him, which also puts Franklin in Henry's mm-hmm. room at some point it, to talk about the violin. All the other violin discussion has been between Henry and Jonathan. Okay, which, you know, parents ask their kids about how their music lessons are going, right? It was was the opening scene about the teacher and he's a dick and whatever. But he asked about him again. Do you remember when they were like... He asked how violin was going when he was in Rikers in the holding cell. When he was visiting, yes. I feel like that was checking in on the murder weapon. I was checking in on the murder weapon. I agree with you. That sounds like checking in on the murder weapon. He has brought me into his web and he's now not... Not just, hasn't just set me up. Now you start to think about it. Did he let on about the relationship so Henry would be brought into it? Was was this a premeditation? Was this something where at least Henry is a release valve or someone that Jonathan can help in anything that may fall out if things went sideways with Elena? Is You know, there's an ally here, right? Henry is, worship, fucking worships him, right? Yeah. We hear that this episode, fucking worships him. That's an ally who's going to go to war with you. Is that intentional on Jonathan's part? He, he needs to recruit him to his team. So if he needs to call him into action for something down the road relating to Elena, he's already got Henry on the hook. How How is violin going? He asks him in the jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's asking about how the fucking yeah. murder weapon is. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very clear. They had they had revisited that whole series of events that night about, like, does he ever go into your room mm-hmm. like that? No. Like, the whole thing. I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's a nice plotting job. The, the signs pointing to Jonathan planting the weapon really, when you think back, make a lot of sense when you replay odd things from episodes ago. But then what the shit, Mike? Is this really going to turn out that just Jonathan did it? the end i don't know i mean <laughs> i mean is that just the way it's gonna go this is where we're going right into episode six right because uh, think back now to crime of passion i don't think henry physically could have been to one to kill her also what are the chances that all three frasers were hanging out in harlem on that night <laughs> that right. seems unlikely i mean i, I did look up just to be clear i did look up could a son's dna be confused for a father's dna like if there was like a hair follicle or if there was something like that right mm-hmm. i did look it up and while siblings can be confused fathers and sons only share 50 percent dna so no so I did look it up to be like, is there any way that right. Henry could have been there and this could have been confused? I don't know that a 14-year-old, even with someone uh, with a victim as slight as Elena, I don't know that a 14-year-old has the physical power to rage out in such an intimate way for that crime. was keen on his family getting back to normal. Back together, all that stuff. Now that we have said this, now that we have revealed this here at uh, minute 73 of this episode, 
think back now to that restaurant scene, the we're going to get away, you know, we're going to get off. We're going to, it's going to be fun. We're, 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 well, of course he thinks that way. He's part of the crime and he knows he's part of the crime now. If he's covering for his father, the we're is not even about grace. Really? Then the we're is dad and me are going to get away with this. Yeah, he definitely is acting like an accomplice. So I think he was very aware that that was in there. It was also clean as hell. Very clean. It was it almost as clean as the one that Stamper was like having, like hitting her yeah. hand with. Yeah. But those eyes, though. But those eyes that he gives her are they're complicated. They're com- yes. they're they're fearful. But they're also like, you shouldn't have opened up my violin case. They were threatening, but they were also fearful. A lot of emotion going on there. I give Noah Jupe a lot of credit. Just that one unspoken scene. Really fucking powerful way to end an episode. So I asked you in previous episodes if you would be disappointed if it was Jonathan. If it would be like, they told it to us at the very beginning. They said the husband did it. And then they took us through this like crazy roller coaster ride. Will you be disappointed if the husband did it? Maybe, maybe not. I think they have laid enough clues and enough twists that I potentially won't be disappointed if Jonathan ends up being the one who did it. But I want to know that there was more involvement with Grace and Elena. If they end up showing us in this final episode that we're waiting for that Grace and Elena did have some kind of relationship, that there was a complication among the three of them, that Grace really isn't the reliable narrator, that she has been blocking out information that she should have known. That will make me feel better if it turns out that Jonathan actually did end up doing it, because then it complicates his actual motivations. Did he kill her because he wanted to protect Grace and his family because she because Elena was becoming too stalkery? Or did he kill Elena in a rage moment because he couldn't handle some aspect of Elena's relationship with Grace or some aspect of that? There's a path here where I'm okay with Jonathan ending up being the one who did it, but I need to know more about the actual motivations. I'm going to fall out to the cliche idea of it's not the destination, it's the journey. You know, they told us the destination at the beginning and what an interesting exercise for us as an audience to go through because we are spending all our time trying to make it not be Jonathan. So if at the end of the day it is Jonathan, didn't we just do what Grace did? Didn't we just actually for weeks and weeks and weeks do exactly what we see her do in the show, try to come up with every other possible solution and all these other ideas and theories and stuff when it was just that simple. The husband did it. It's just you can't possibly believe that he's this bad of a guy. You should have known. Oh, I mean, Sylvia told us uh, episode one, it's always the fucking husband. The journey has been amazing. Even if it, even if the episode begins, the, the next episode begins with you know, Henry confessing, he's like, yeah, dad did this and asked me to hide this weapon. And solely because he never wanted you to find out about Elena kind of thing, you know, something like that. I think I still enjoyed the journey. These five episodes have been really fantastic television, but I think we're going to get something a little bit more than that. I think, I think even if Jonathan is the one who did it, and it definitely feels that way at the end of this episode, though, Franklin, I don't know that you can discount him. I think you probably have to discount out Fernando, right? How would, <laughs> how would, how would, how would Henry wind up with the murder weapon if Fernando's the one who did it? But I don't know that you can discount Franklin or Franklin's right? involvement, which there's involvement there. It's just what extent of it. I think if we get a good answer about that, I think if we get some good resolution on the complicated relationship between Grace and Elena that they seem to have been laying out this entire time exists, I think I'll be really, truly happy with the result, no matter who the actual murderer ends up being. 
and I'll throw in that if the only portion that Franklin ends up playing in is to create this really believable, you know, alternative. And additionally, like the fact that I would even consider him as like maybe he came in as a therapist portion or that he was just the motivation for Grace to like continuously run back to Jonathan. He still was an important role. You know, he still gave a lot of understanding as to what her motivations are and where she's coming from, basically from her past. So, you know, I think they're all playing their roles as is, even if it doesn't get more complicated, but I would like it to get more complicated right. because I just want it to be, even though it just makes so much sense if it just wasn't, if it was just him, it just happened. He just walked in. He really did kill her. This is how it went down. But I do want to say, because you mentioned this in the last podcast and I think Haley alluded to this. She didn't say it exactly the same way you did, but if they say they're using the word rape, but we were saying, you know, had sex with, made love with made all different love. words. Yeah. Say they were. When was this rape or sexual assault plus murder? The charge they're actually charging him with. Because at no point is anyone saying he was mid sexual act and started pounding her with a hammer so that was how you explained it in a previous episode that these things had to be happening in conjunction basically there had to be like a right it all the, happening at the same time right. well the way the law reads is it has to be happening uh during the commission of or fleeing from for it to be felony murder and that totally makes sense to me so none of that Seems like it would be satisfied. Right. The question is, if he left, drank at the bar, and then came back and then found her, well, not dead, but he kills her then, which is a twist on his story. But on his timeline is, I left, I came back. If that's mm -hmm. true, I don't know. I don't know if that's in in the commission or fleeing of. that. They seem to be to two me, separate events. Yeah, it is two separate events, in my opinion. So I mean, then... it's still second-degree murder, probably, though, if, if they can prove intent to kill but that's a crime of passion and crime of passions are not intent to kill that's you know i went there to to have an argument and i ended up bashing her skull in 11 times that's not second and and why does it matter because first degree murder and second degree murder that's life in prison probably that's minimum of 15 to 25 years or 20 to 25 years if it's second or first degree murder upwards of life imprisonment life imprisonment without parole depending on first or second degree manslaughter a lot less time. A manslaughter, he'll probably be able to get out in good behavior and see Henry maybe even get married. Certainly get to see Henry have grandchildren. Hmm. You know, manslaughter or, or the, you know, the equivalent of manslaughter in New York and versus first or second degree murder. Big, big difference. I don't know if they overshot then with their charges and, you know, whether this is they're just not going to be able to prove that. I've, we've, um, I mean, we've said all along, how do you prove rape in a case where the dead victim who was known to have had a consensual relationship uh, to the extent that they have a child together? I don't know how you prove rape. Other than just saying there was semen in her. So, of course, he raped her. I mean, maybe a jury buys that if they believe he's a monster incarnate, if he if they believe he's Jack the Ripper. But they're also to trying life. to sell this whole, like, they've been having this affair. So it's right. like, if they're right. having this affair, you know? Right, right, right. Bad yeah. charge, bad charge. But you need it to, I mean, to make the fel the first degree murder, though, you need that felony added on to it. I, I think going into this last episode, it's going to be an hour, right? I mean. Super excited. I want the episode. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, uh, my gosh. I, I, and I see a lot of people like looking on Twitter and, and talking with people on Facebook. There is still that overtone of, you know, the sexual relationship between Grace and Elena. That's still like just lingering out there in a way that's like, 
this could have a twist to it that it's still Jonathan, but there's still a twist. For me to be happy with how the whole thing wound up and happy with the journey versus really having had enjoyed the journey, I, I really want a resolution on the Grace-Elena relationship. But even what, sexual or not, they've laid too much evidence out here that these two had some kind of relationship greater in extent than Grace has let on that they had. I want an answer on that, whatever it is. Maybe maybe, maybe they both were just besties, and she really was oblivious to Jonathan's relationship with Elena, and they became close just because of the cancer, Miguel's cancer, and, and being an involved wife. Maybe, maybe that is the extent of it. Maybe she was really, truly in the dark. Whatever it is, I just want an answer on it. You know, I'm not one of those people who demands every show, a show answers every open question before it ends. I, I don't need that. I do want to ask you this. I, I have seen people saying, do you think that this is going to be the type of show where they're going to leave us with several options and just leave it up to the viewer as to which one we think it is? Or do you think they will definitively say who did it? The book has a definitive answer to this question. So it makes me feel like the show is going to have a definitive answer. I, I would be okay. I think I think you and I have spun th good theories in a, a couple of different ways that I think I'd be okay without having a definitive answer where we can just fill in the blanks. But I, I also feel like the show has taken us to the edge of telling us the answer with a whole hour left. I think I'm going to be surprised if they don't. I think they're. I think I'm going to be surprised if the show leaves it up to our imagination. I really want them to give us a definitive answer and then we can play with imagination of all the things that played into it. But I really want to know who like swung the hammer and if it matters anymore, I don't even know because I think what we're saying at the end of the day is many people swung the ha hammer at different times, um, you know, and somebody swung it last, but yeah. you know, no, no, going I, down. I, I want, I want, I mean, if I have my wishes, I definitely want, if my Christmas wish, my Christmas wish looks like, I definitely want to know, who killed her? I definitely want to know whatever the relationship is between Grace and Elena. Whatever it looks like, I want an answer on that. I want some I want some clarity. I want to know what what version of Grace's memories and imaginings to believe. If I don't get an answer on Franklin and his involvement, all right, I'd like an answer, but I'll be okay with that. If I don't get an answer on Sylvia and her involvement, Okay, I mean, I'd like an answer on that, but I can live without that stuff. I really need to know Grace Elena. I really need to know the murderer. Amazing. This has been another amazing episode of The Undoing. Do we unnerve you? I'm super looking forward to number six, Mike. I cannot wait to finally find out. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. <laughs> this is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Do We Unnerve You? The Undoing Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Do We Unnerve You, The Undoing Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do the right thing you know you want to. Don't make Henry come down with his violin case. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Do We Unnerve You, The Undoing Podcast is a Pod Clubhouse original production, recorded, produced, and edited at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information on Pod Clubhouse, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com or on social media at Pod Clubhouse.